Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the Backend Engineering Show every Saturday. How about we get started, guys? Let's get started. Let's get this party, party started. How is everybody doing, y'all? How's everybody doing? So uh, I decided to make this uh, today's live stream a little bit less uh, formal, I guess. So we get, we're just going to discuss uh, some questions, Q&A, keep it cash. We're going to keep it cash. Can you guys hear me? Everything is okay. Oh, what up, CB? What is going on, Yusuf? What up, Roshan? Lamer, I am Elias from Al- Algeria. Big fan. Thank you, Elias. Welcome to the channel. Muhammad Sakhar, guys, or Sakhar. Uh, hi, Hussein. Can you please give advice for junior back-end developers to build scalable applications if he or she works as a freelancer or work alone without senior team leader? Well, here's the thing, guys. Uh, you can't possibly expect a junior or someone who just started to build a scalable app from the get-go. This is just a recipe for failure, in my opinion. And I, I, I hate these companies that just set so much high expectations. It's like, that's not true. Building a scalable app takes a team effort, takes a lot of resources, takes a lot of time, right? Everybody claims that they can build Facebook clone or Twitter clone. It's all BS, to build a real scalable app, you need a team. You need real team. You need thinking. You need to think about everything. There's security aspects. There's scalability. There's uh, resources, servers. 
all that stuff. Yeah, the cloud made it easier, but it's not as easy. So uh, that's the first thing. You have to take it easy because you cannot think that, oh, I'm going to build a scalable app. Build an app first. Don't worry about scaling it. If you're just starting, just build something. And then you'll find out, oh, it doesn't scale here. It doesn't scale here. Greeting from Costa Rica, James. What is up? Please make a video on OAuth and OpenID. So, Nikhil, my major weakness when it comes to, uh, to engineering, and I have so many weaknesses, and one of the major weaknesses is authentication. I know very, very little about my authentication in general. Uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Mohammed Sharif, he has a YouTube channel. Uh, he mo he mostly speaks Arabic, but uh, he's he works at Okta, and he is the guy to ask when it comes to anything authentication or security, right? Security and authentication are a little bit different. I guess authentication is a part of security. So I try to understand uh, authentication. I know very very little about it. I know about. I made a video about authentication. Various more. I try to break it down to kind of understand it, but still. Every field is so deep, and you can't possibly know everything. So yeah, I, I might I might consider if I am interested in authentication, which I am currently not, because I have uh, I'm working on other stuff. If I am, maybe, sure. <sighs> have you heard of vSender? I have not. What is that? What motivates you on learning tech? That's a good question. What motivates you of learning? technology in general so motivation in general is, is a very tricky word because uh, to, to you to to be motivated to learn something or to do anything in life you have to have a goal behind what you're trying to learn and if you have that goal clear then the 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 motivation will kind of come to you if you don't know where you're going with this, then you're gonna try. You might a little bit suffer as a result. <sighs> this water is making me really sweaty. Although it's really uh, it's really cold here, but I think I might take it off. Okta is awesome. I agree. But yeah, generally, what motivates me personally is. I want to become a better software engineer, and I know I'm not. I know I'm not, and I know the 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 weaknesses that I have, and I I just want to become one of the best, if not the best. And that goal in mind that I have, and I don't think I shared this with anyone, is just that goal is gonna be forever, right? I'm not gonna become the best. I know that because they're they're better developers, they're better engineers, they're better they're better at everything, but. That's my goal. Just become the best. And to do that, every day you wake up, you got to pick up a new piece of information. You got to learn something. And I have to generally, generously try to share it back with you guys. And that's, that's what it's all about. And that's another goal that I have that makes me motivated is I want to make software engineering, back-end engineering, front-end engineering, all kind of engineering accessible and a commodity essentially and i want to democratize this field because let's be honest 
when I when I started learning, I want to learn anything in software architecture or back engineering. There's almost zero resources, or even if there was, they are behind some sort of a enormous paywall, right? Or it's mostly outdated. So I want to break that. I want to make make it accessible. I want to make uh, not necessarily for free, not all all the time, but I I just want to make things that understanding things becoming easier because let's be honest if you read the rfc it's like written in chinese unless you're you speak chinese that's a different story rfcs are very hard to read Uh, most academic research are very hard to read because those guys are on a different level they cannot they, they are gifted they are so genius and smart but let's be honest they can't explain for shit so most of them right most engineers are smart they can't explain they they have they don't have that skill set to explain to to actually deliver information. Professors, on the other hand, that's a different story. So I try to get, make this gap essentially bridge that gap. Uh, can you share your default Vim setup if you have one? Oh man, I set up Vim I think two years ago and I completely forgot. I just made it green uh, and I made it understand this HTTP thingy and uh, syntax and that's it i forgot about it i'll try to share it what's that what's his name ben owl i think he made a video on vim that was good i think he set up a profile too so check him out well Liz, what do you have do you have developer imp- um, imposter syndrome during the starting stage all the freaking time my friend all the freaking time imposter syndrome is 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 the ability to just like okay do do you uh you think you don't know anything essentially it's like okay you think you're a you're a you're an imposter essentially right or a fraud i i get that a lot especially when i talk about things that is outside my knowledge but to me i always say guys this is my this is what i think right if i am wrong please correct me i always say that and then people do correct me all the time. And I just, I'm just not scared of being wrong, I guess. Uh, thank you for becoming a member. I cannot pronounce your name. I'm sorry. It's in, I gotta do that. Translate. So I can translate, Google Translate. Just a second, guys. Dead air. Yuval Sagron. What language? Oh, it's Hebrew. Oh, interesting. Yuval, thank you for becoming a member. Welcome to Engineer. It's funny. Hebrew is the closest to Arabic, yet I don't I don't know how to read it. But I, I know how it sounds, funny enough. Uh, what else? So, yeah, imposter syndrome. You guys are active today, huh? Even on slow mode. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, imposter syndrome is, is very is very critical. I mean, you have to you have to know that you don't know, and then just do it anyway. I mean, nothing wrong to teach people what you absolutely know and say, "Hey, I don't know this thing. I don't know this thing." So, yeah, Avi uh, says, "Is the back end engineering beginner up to date?" Always. I mean, what do you mean by up to date? I keep adding new content to it if i think it will fit 
into the beginning a beginner track the back engineering track which i believe that people should know these things so if you watch this in order you sh you're you're uh, you'll get uh, you're you're good to go Ugh, english but yeah, I keep updating it with new videos. As I make new videos, then I say, okay, this will be a great fit in the backend engineering playlist, the beginners. So I think people should know about this. But it's not, you can only know some so much fundamentals as a beginner. So, so that's why I update the intermediate and the advanced more these days. Because I focus on advanced topics these days, obviously, as I advance myself. <clears throat> Hi Hussein. Aktush. Hi sir. Thanks for the great content. Um, as someone having close to 3.5 uh, years of experience in the back end, what do you prefer in the go in going in depth of few tech exploring the uh, breadth and deep dive later? Okay, so uh, you're you're now spend almost four years on the back end, which is you. Technically, you're just starting, which is not wrong at all. But I think, ask yourself, in the four years that you already started, what did you like that you have explored? I am assuming in the four years, hopefully you explored everything in the back end. If you didn't, spend the next year exploring everything in the back end. I'm talking security, I'm talking proxies, I'm talking Nginx, I'm talking uh, web servers, right? I'm talking databases, I'm talking different type of database, I'm talking row column databases, I'm talking uh, column store databases, row store and column store. I'm talking a NoSQL, I'm talking SQL, all these stuff. Explore all of that stuff, just know what they mean, and then pick something that just somehow resonated with you. One, once you have this... Oh, I love uh, databases, relational databases, so SQL databases that are column-oriented, targeted for OLAP workload. Just that, just that, which is so niche, so niche. People pay ungodly amount of money for people for for engineers who are OLAP, SQL, column store specific. So that means. You just, and if you want to stick to one database, that's even better. But uh, my experience is like, okay, let's experience with different databases that, that support that. MariaDB, uh, MySQL with Oracle now, this uh, SQL, uh, HANA, SAP HANA. Test, test, taste, taste. And then pick something that you like and then dive deep into it. Uh, to me, I'm, I'm tasting different things. And and I, I even now, now uh, how many years of experience I have now? Jeez, I, I lost count. 17? 17? And I still taste. I have experience, in-depth experience in so many of these. But I just, I, 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 I take my head off and then try some, something else that I'm not comfortable with from now on. Authentication is one of them. I don't know almost anything about authentication. I know what it means. I know how it works. I know the fundamentals behind But I don't know the tools. Uh, I still don't agree or think jwt is a good solution in my opinion i think i think that the the whole access token refresh token is 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 weird the idea of having two things to authenticate maybe i don't understand but it's just silly i prefer the old session based authentication because it's simpler who cares if it's centralized but i understand that 
we need to move on and we need to grow but i i'm like this i uh, you you'll find hard time convincing me because you have to explain why things exist i just don't accept things as it is all right oh we have so much chat guys you're active you're active hey hey hello Muhammad Salman, hello. All right. Uh, what are your thoughts about NoSQL databases? They they have they exist for a reason, and I think this is a valid reason. All right, and the reason is, hey, uh, my requirement as an application is cons. Uh, consistent consistently changing and developing and, and it's com- completely changing all the time and the cost of adding or altering the schema on the maintenance on the database on the downtime is something that i cannot afford so can you give me a store that i can store virtually any column type without any structure or we call it schemaless. And that attracts a lot of people because most people, first of all, don't want to store this, the schema, because it's just a hassle to build a schema. It's not easy to build a schema. It requires a lot of skills to build a data model. And uh, and, and and they just don't want to do that. Or the other part, which I am seeing a lot, is just people don't want to bother learning databases and it's easier to move to NoSQL and that's scary in my opinion you don't move to something just because it's easy you have to understand why you're moving into it because if you just if you move to a NoSQL and your requirement actually requires a schema you shut yourself in the foot essentially right because how would you configure uh, uh, how would you scale how would you uh, uh, what about the th- certain situations that you actually need a schema, a well-defined schema, right? That there are some some stuff that the SQL databases give you that NoSQL do not. I mean, if you if you look at the, the current NoSQL developed, it, it went the other direction completely. Now they support full ACID. They now I I can't tell a difference between acid uh, i mean sql and no sql so my statement might be false in my opinion so who knows i need to dig deep into no sql i have i don't have a lot of experience in no sql i use i use some of it but most of the time i work with schema because i didn't face uh, a situation where i needed to change my schema all the time and you guys came in with hard great use cases for NoSQL, which absolutely convinced me. And one of them was, hey, Hussein, I, uh, I, sometimes I want to add a new column, right? Or, or a new a new property for a user, but I don't want to update my entire stack to add that property. It's just a stupid JSON extra information. It might exist, it might not. Why would you add an optional column, right, and make it store, make it take some space just for you to add that extra information? So NoSQL came in into, into existence, and it was really convincing. So that's my... 
is MongoDB faster than MySQL? Uh, that's a very general question. I cannot answer that. That's, I would say it's false statement. What does it mean by fast? Is it fast in writing? If it's fast in querying? Is it fast in reading? Is it fast in, 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 the, in the actual execution of the uh, execution engine, analysis of the execution engine? Is it, is it fast in, is it, is it better in replication between the nodes itself? What does it mean to be fast? Uh, if you, you, it might be fast in certain situation, but not always the others. Okay? Should we send HTML from back end? Is it a good practice? Akash Joshi says. Should we send HTML from the back end? I mean, that's what every website does. It always sends HTML, right? When you first visit a site, you do a GET request, you get back in HTML. Now, I just made a video about Apple yesterday my series which i absolutely love and you guys seems to like dev tooling uh, the websites right so i dev tooled the uh, webs uh, apple yesterday and the first thing i do is i make a request to the index.html which pulls the not necessarily index but pulls the html page and once it pulls the html page it turns around and makes further requests so i don't see anything wrong with that i understand that the recent unfortunate era that we live in anything that is just being used and hard and tried is labeled as old or dated or traditional or or not cool anymore and that's a big problem guys it's a big problem if someone works if something works you should keep using it if something works and you don't find any problem with it you should keep using it it's simple works keep using them if you find a problem with it or a set of problems this is the time where you build a new technology to solve this problem that's what everybody does in the real engineering world right you find a limitation in this technology and then you build a new technology that's look at our http they built http1 then fixed it with http11 then found little bit of problems then they fixed it in http2 could they have uh, uh, guessed that HD, from the beginning, 1995? Oh, by the way, uh, our website in the future, they're going to re request 100,000 requests per, um, for every page. So uh, HTTP 1 will not be a good idea because it's a single TCP connection and we're closing and opening all the time. So how about we actually build an idea of streams on top of TCP? Imagine this, this conversation having in 1995. That's just nuts. You can't possibly predict the future. So that you, you use what you have, you deploy it, and you work with it until it doesn't work anymore or you find a problem with it. Sending HTML is perfectly valid. What project did you enjoy making the most projects? Hmm... What project did I enjoy making the most? Uh, I enjoy working on, on on things that are related to the databases. I mean, I can't talk much about what I'm working at work, just for confidentiality reasons, especially with work with defense and stuff like that in Israel. But uh, as in general, I, I, I build tools 
that work with the database directly, right? And and uh, col collect logs and uh, monitor the entire stack, find where the bottlenecks is, and and write it into the database so that it's it, it can be queried and analyzed in a in a nice way and it's very productive way. So I can find exactly where the bottleneck is that's the goal of, of what i've been doing so i've been working on many projects like that so that that kind of increases my skills on on databases i just learned the the common table expressions which is cte so i recently learned them and this is a great addition to the um uh to the databases uh, sql language Uh, is it possible to implement advanced full search feature using Postgres full search extension? I think so, yeah. So like uh, you can, uh, uh, when you create a, a string column, right? That string column, you can store up to, I think, 1 GB in it in Postgres. Uh, we talked about toast and all that stuff. Yeah, it's an external table. But once you have that, you can add an index on top of that. And when you index that column, what you can do is, uh, when you index it raw like that, it will you have to nail exactly what is the character inside it, which is almost useless, right? So that's why you have to create a gist index, which is G-I-S-T, I forgot what it stands for, right? Or, or a full text index. And when you do enable full text capability, you can essentially search for things that look like it. Like let's say uh, you type there, you want to search for tree, but you misspell tree to triple e for example it will find that essentially with an actual index that is literally text the text and search for it you can't find that right even with a like if you do like that that will cause a full full table scan so you have to create an index with full search capability so yeah postgres support that as, a, as an extension i believe is uh, my MSQ or Microsoft SQL still relevant, or should I switch to still relevant? Microsoft SQL is a big thing, dude. Or do that. Yeah, it is a it is really huge. A lot of people use it. It's a it's a it's a one of the oldest databases, and I use it on a daily basis almost. So it's a big database. It has a lot of spatial capabilities. Have a has a powerful capabilities. There's a free version. There is a obviously the premium version. But yeah, you most of the time, you can pick any of the databases based on what you're trying to do and become an expert in it, right? So Postgres, MySQL, uh, Microsoft SQL, they all do the same job, but it depends on your use case. Which one would you pick that satisfies your use case? And your use case might change all the time. Now what happens to Uber, right? Uber pick Postgres and they found that their particular workflow will just does not scale with Postgres because they were just doing crazy amount of indexes on the, so many indexes and, and Postgres just does not like that. And uh, yeah, it creates a lot of uh, write-ahead logs and as a result, um, replication becomes a headache. And that I made a video about that. It actually became popular. Who knows, huh? an article from 2016 I brought it back and I tried to understand because when I read it back in 2016 I, re I understand zero things that's back to our conversation uh, of commoditize uh, make make software engineering a commodity or or democratizing software engineering which because me as as 
someone who, who had like back then I had 10 years of experience and I read this article and I don't understand anything is it something wrong with me or is or which is which was that that's the case wasn't wrong with me and right? I didn't and I didn't I had I had I lacked basic fundamentals in these things so I wanted what I wanted to say I was like, okay and in 2015 I said you know what I want to become a better software engineer I really need to so that means any article I read I want to understand it from now on any blog from these big companies I want to understand it that's that's my goal right and I was so jealous from people tweeting and retweeting these I was like God, man everybody seems to understand this thing except me Apparently, nobody did, but <laughs> people just sometimes just tweet things without actually understanding, right? But even if you discuss it, even if you go to a podcast and, and they talk in depth, still, there is so much information that is missed. And my goal was, I want to unfold and understand, I want to become better, and I want to share this knowledge and make uh, uh, democratize this field and make it a little bit more accessible for everyone. And I think it's working. I think a lot of people says, "Hey, uh, uh, I OSI model, for example, one of the one of the oldest thing that I just did not understand in school. I did not understand at work, and no, we didn't talk about it at work at all. But this is something that we studied in two thousand one, and I didn't literally didn't understand why it exists. So when I came back. Uh, Steve Gibson actually has secure, the host of security now. He's a great explainer, by the way. This is one of the few who actually explain things from the bottom of his heart and actually delivers, right? He, he's a great explainer. He takes his time. I love that. So, so I talk that and says, okay, I really need to understand this thing because why I'm watching all these videos, I don't understand anything. That was like back in whatever, when I made this video, 2017-2018. So I went there and I started researching and I took it all the way back to my experience which is as a software engineer. It's like, why would the OSI model, the Open System Interconnectivity, whatever it stands for, relate to me as a software engineer or as a back-end engineer? I said, wait a second, it does. Because to to understand layer seven proxying or layer four proxying, you better understand what what OSI model is. Otherwise, you don't. So that's why all of this thing came together and say, okay, let me explain. Once I understood the OSI model, I said, okay, let me actually try to explain it. And people really, really relate to it a lot. Muhammad Osama, bro, hope you're good and your family. Thank you. You talked about imposter syndrome. I had an issue of building uh, the trust of my skill gradually, regardless. Uh, I'm giving a great effort. All the best to you, Muhammad. And just uh, just make sure that uh, ha- have a criticism to yourself. It's healthy to have a criticism to yourself. It's always good to criticize yourself, right? And, and say, okay, I really don't understand how Wi-Fi sends the packets in the air as radio packets. I don't understand that. Right? So if, we, if you admit to that, your skill, which is over here, will gradually try to understand. You will start learning because you have a goal, right? I want to understand this. Because 
first of all the goal first goal is admit that you are weak in this area you're not weak and you're also admit that you're strong in other areas and that's absolutely fine right so admit these weaknesses right i'm for example i i i know that i'm 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 very good in protocol communication protocol i'm very good on web servers i know what exactly what web servers are doing i know exactly what proxies are doing i can get better of course but once you have that you can start bridging that gap slowly bridging that gap and 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 understanding and start learning and when you start doing that you will stumble upon things that you understand and some things that you don't understand which kicks off a new branch it's like almost like depth first search and we'll say okay i don't understand this and you start the cycle again this is called collateral knowledge so as a result of pursuing one goal you end up learning so many other things in the same time Ooh. Uh, hello saying could you make a video about operating system stuff processes threads uh, semaphores Ooh, you're taking me back <laughs> i i will i will definitely will i'm planning to uh, read the linux book and I just understand how Linux work and all that stuff. And then when I when I absolutely nail it, I'll make a video about it. Definitely, I I know I know very little about processes, threads, and how operating system scheduler works. Very little, and I I'm I'm not afraid to admit that I don't know, because that's that kind of comes back to the imposter syndrome that we talked about. Just yeah, if you don't know, you don't know, but have the willing to know. Any good recommendation to learn about Postgres? Uh, recommendation like what? Postgres is, is a big thing, right? It's a big software. So if you really want to get into Postgres, just use it into a, a real application. Try to scale an application with multi-node Postgres. Uh, try, uh, try a replication. Just replicate multiple nodes. Just, uh, let, have a read replica and a write replica and have your backend smart enough using proxying to know which database to hit if you're writing hit this database if you're reading hit this database try that and just by the by the fact of you trying that you'll just get better and you start asking questions have you heard about looked on to mls protocol why did i hear about this mls protocol messaging layer security huh i have not thanks for sharing i'll take a look at it i'll definitely take a look at it thank you for sharing i have not read about it no do you use your knowledge of the database internal lsmb3 in your current job is only knowledge of db api settings sufficient okay so that's a good question so niels asked uh do i i'm mean, I, I think you're asking me directly. Do I have my knowledge of the database? How persistent store in uh, how it persists in the storage and the indexes specifically, and how does it affect my my own job? I do actually, and I ask this question. But here's the thing: I didn't even reach that level, I, or I didn't even need to reach that level because I'm working fixing the higher stack up <laughs> because the higher stack. There's so much to optimize over there. So 
optimizing the B3 versus LSM3 is so in, um, unimportant right now and it will not give me enough performance boost compared to the things you can extract from just the back end because the back end sometimes does stupid things i mean stupid me as a developer would write a code that is just dumb i shouldn't have done it right or uh, uh, for example i uh, there are obvious things that i should use like database server side cursors instead of executing the same statement over and over again for paging i could do a server side cursor executed once and then pull the information multiple times this is by the way this paging the paging problem in a stateless architecture is an absolutely difficult and hard problem to solve you might say what hussein we do paging all the time what are you talking about it's the easiest thing no son no it's not remember the http is stateless right and that's one of the problems that of, of a ton of things that i want to solve and i still don't have a solution to it is if i make a request to pull uh, the first hundred records what does that mean i'm a browser and i make a request hey pull the first hundred records from zero to hundred that turns around and executes what a sql statement right and if I SQL SQL statement, that will do, hey, in this 100 million row, a table row, only give me the 100, uh, first 100 rows after executing that predicate filter, right? So the, you go through the indexes and you take the hit to do that query, to go through the index, to find all that stuff, only to pull the 100 rows. And then you give back the 100 rows, and then you serialize them with their protocol buffer, with their, with their JSON, with their all that jazz, and then you take that piece and then you ship it to the client. And then the client says, okay, nice. Give me the second 200 rows. What? Okay. Now HTTP will send that request. Now the backend will just pick up another database connection from the pool, which has nothing to do with the database connection you just used because it's a stateless protocol. It has to keep cycling through the pool connection unless we figure out multiplexing on the back end with databases. That's another story. Hopefully Quick does that for us. But once we do that, we pick another connection which has nothing to do with the previous connection. So, hey, database, give me the, the, the rows from uh, 100 to 200, right? And execute this query. So the database will go through the same work to execute the same query to take the same hit parses all that jazz execution plan just to pull the next 200 queries and doing it over and over again will absolutely first of all will 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 exhaust your database i'm not gonna say kill it but you can do better in a client server architecture which i before the web in, in early 2005, 2006, most of the apps I developed was client-server. And this is the best because it's a stateful architecture. I, when I, my application starts, I say, loading, I'm going to just start a beautiful one single TCP connection, a database connection to the, to the backend, and that's it, right? I'm going to send all my queries in this database connection. So I can optimize for that. I can definitely optimize i can say hey 
if I do paging, that's the easier thing. I'm going to execute a single query. I'm going to say, hey, create a cursor instead. A cursor is just almost like a pointer. You execute it on the server side, and then that will just uh, create a cursor on the back end and execute the query once. And we'll say, okay, I'm not going to fetch until you ask me. Now you say, hey, cursor, fetch the first 100. Boof. All right, then you say, fetch the next 100. Boof. It will just literally go do an IO and then pull it. It does not need to execute the query again. We don't have that in the web. The web is stateless. Unfortunately. Hussein Ibrahim says, Oh, same as me. Hussein, you, there are like thousands of ways to spelling uh, the, uh, the name Hussein, right? Uh, so, so Hussein Ibrahim, he, he pronounces like uh, with H O U S S A I, right? Uh, uh, some, some people are pronounced H-U-S-S-A-I-N. Some people H-O-H-U-S-A-I-N. Some people H-U-S-S-E-I-N, like me. Uh, it's, it's just like uh, uh, you'll, see, you'll see many, many uh, variations in English. But in Arabic, it's written always, always the same way. You cannot misspell the name Hussein in Arabic. That's that's what I like about, about the languages, right? It's fascinating to see that. So Hussein asks, where are you from? I am from uh, Bahrain originally. That's where I was born. And I spent 30 years there, grew up there, and I moved to the state in 2015. Uh, 2050. Is that, is that right in French? How do you actually play practice around with scaling and maybe consequently distribute a system without actually having an app which has the need to scale? This is called elasticity, essentially. So the idea of elasticity, elasticity, English, anglais, anglais is difficile. Anglais is difficile. Ego ga yoko No. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. So, uh, elasticity is the ability, in Arabic we call it maruna, which means something that goes and then comes back, right? You just stretch it and then comes back. The idea here is how can your app scales up and scales down based on the load is extremely well-engineered problem. And uh, Amazon does that. Cloud usually support that because it saves them money if they do that. And it saves you money if you do that, right? And you, as an on-premise system, to actually deploy this solution, you need a lot of intelligence in your reverse proxy, which is, which is the guy or the gal, that the first, the first line of defense. You have to introduce logic there. And Genix Enterprise, by the way, has great... Um, the enterprise version, I believe. I don't believe the free version have that node, but Nginx, uh, the, uh, the the enterprise version has these capabilities. Like it knows, oh, we're getting a lot of requests. Let's scale up. Oh, we're getting less requests. Maybe it's time to scale down. What's the purpose of spinning multiple backend instances? and a load balancer on the same server machine because it will use the same CPU and RAM. 100 requests. Yeah, that's generally not a good idea. 
and if you're talking about machine as a physical machine, yeah, that's definitely not a good idea. In a production, in test, you can do whatever you want. But yeah, you're right. If you spin up multiple on the same machine, then it's not a good idea. What are your thoughts about multimodal DBs like Arogo and Mark Logic? I'm not aware about them, Arvel. Hope I pronounced your name right. I need to get that again. Google Translate Arvel. Yuval. Sorry, Yuval. Sagron. I'm going to start calling you Sagron. All right, all right, all right, all right. What else? Is dockerized version of a project has better performance or not? Hmm. So we we gonna we have to proceed with caution here, and I always try to under, explain that to people that Docker is just a process, right? It's not something fancy, really. Well, it is fancy. The idea of isolation in the in the in the operating system give you the the illusion that this is a container but what happens here is it's a, just a bunch of processes that runs in the same operating system so let's let's take an example so if you have a physical machine forget about vms right if you have a physical machine and you want to deploy to to deploy two apps one app require node.js 8.5 and the second app require node.js 13.5 can you deploy it in the same machine no it's impossible why because a machine can only run node.js can as a process as a software can only install once you cannot install twice on the software right i'm not sure you can but it's it's not possible right so people invented the idea of virtual machines i said okay so what we're gonna do is we're gonna spin up a completely virtualized operating system on top of this physical machine. So technically what we have is to have two operating system that gives the illusion of two operating system, but it's it's a one physical machine. So now all of a sudden now we can deploy on the first VM Node.js 8.5 and the second VM we deploy 13.5 and my apps will work normally because it's completely isolated right and this is done by the hypervisor which which kind of gives you that illusion technically if you look at the process level it's just processes running right there is a process that is almost the operating system the virtual and there is another process that there's the second operating system so people figure out them worked beautifully this is great but smart people google actually started that says okay why are we duplicating most of the time uh, the operating system layer is so thick t-h-i-c-c right so thick so you're putting a thick os here and a thick os here and you it's almost identical to the os that you're on top why why pourquoi qu'est-ce que c'est so people said can we actually virtualize processes can i deploy my node.js application as a process so that in its own bubble and all the collection of processes so nobody can actually see this group of processes and that were were containers or c groups actually 
There are many groups on the Linux operating system. And the idea of having a group of processes that are completely isolated and nobody can talk to each other, that was born, Docker was born from that idea. So the, your question was about Docker containers. Is it faster? I don't think so. It's faster. It's just, it depends on how much memory do you have on your original CPU machine because that's a shared the RAM CPU is shared with all those VMs or all those containers regardless. So if your container is limited to what CPU uses and RAM, it's going to be slow, right? If you're, and you better limit the container, right? And if you don't have enough memory or CPU on your physical machine, your Docker containers or your VMs will suffer as a result. The VMs, all the containers, will start to do paging, will try to use the disk instead of memory just to make the container works, but that will slow things down. So your answer, your question is very hard to answer. It really depends, which I, I, I hate that answer, I know. Serverless versus dockerization for the future. Which one is the future? Abdul Mubin. That's a good question. I think serverless is a is a great technology. If If we figured it out, if we figure it out, then it will be a great technology. But I do not see it working on-premise, in my opinion. Because the cost of implementing serverless on-premise, if we, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong. Maybe we'll figure out a way to say, hey, here is a hundred machine, and there will be a magical software. I don't believe it exists. Maybe Kubernetes with a mixture of, uh, what was it called? Fish, phishing? I think it's called phishing, the server, no? Phishing, the serverless architecture on top of uh, the Kubernetes. So that will look good. I said, okay, I just want to install the software and it will treat these 100 machines that are on the same network as just a hunk of metal. And then it will, you, talk to one endpoint and that will it will use this hunk of machines without any configuration. If that made made really really easy, then I do see it the future, and I think it will, because because developers will will rely on this infrastructure better and better, and it gets as it gets better and better, we're gonna need more people on the back end to manage the, this infrastructure because it's not gonna be free without bugs, obviously. So yeah, I see I see serverless existing in the future. I see dockerization still existing because those two are orthogonal, right? Server serverless will use Docker containers, can I guess use Docker containers or just containers in general to spin up an instance to execute, right? I don't see why not. And it can use a physical machine, it can use a, any other machine. Big fan from India. Harshal, welcome to the channel. Thank you for your message. Where DB store insert or update query data before commit? Uh, it stores it in something called, so the question Surundam says, where does the DB store the insert update queries before it actually commits it? Because yeah, when you start a transaction, you do insert, update, insert, update, insert, update, insert, update, and then you do the commit. Uh, if you fail in the bet in between, how do we know that hey, this is failure? So we have to roll back this this garbage that we just inserted, right? It is stored in something called the write ahead log, which is wall, W A L, wall, wally. 
So it started in a wall. Wall, it's a beautiful wall. Tremendous, beautiful wall. It's a big wall. It's not really big. It's just, it's a, uh, the right ahead log. Uh, usually it's both in memory and also it's flushed to disk so we don't lose information, right? And the wall changes are uh, be are are read by other but by, by the same transaction itself right because if i write something and i turn it on and read it i should be able to read it right i'm talking about before committing it to the database if i write something i start in the transaction i i insert a new record and if i turn around and try to read that record it better be there right because i just inserted it yeah i did not commit it but I should be able to read it. However, other transactions here, can you guys see? Right here, if they try to read that record, to them, that record does not exist. If, it, if, if they were able to read that dirty record, that's called a, an unco an read uncommitted, read isolation. So you just read a dirty read. That's called a dirty read. You read something you're not supposed to read. So some data SQL Server actually supports that read uncommitted. You can you can enable that if you want to so to read stuff and and I I used it sometime to to see if things are working or not not generally a good idea but I just use it for testing so if you do that then you start reading uh, your your transaction only makes that visible essentially but if once you commit that wall changes is goes to the desk also while you're writing actually it goes to the desk right but once you write it actually makes that row in the heap visible to all times actually hey we just committed that means it's good it's, it's actually committed you actually write to the block in the desk that says row 17 which you just inserted is live people can read it and uh, here's where it gets tricky right now if you started a transaction be uh, before the row has been committed right and your isolation level is read committed you will be able to read that because you can read anything that has been committed if your isolation level is repeatable read i think that's what it's called repeatable read then or serializable or uh, for the multi-version concurrency control you will not be able to read that because your transaction says hey I only read stuff at that moment of starting the day of that transaction. Anything that commits after, I do not want to read it. And some people do that uh, to guarantee consistency. Like let's say you're generating a sales report, right? You're doing a select statement. You're doing all the product sales, right? And in the middle of the, you're, you're querying all that. You started, you queried all the product and you got 10 products sales, right? So that's what, I don't know, $100. And in the middle, someone inserted a new sales. And then you turn around and you do the sum. For example, oh, how many how many products did I just, uh, uh, what is the total of that? If you read that again and you say, hey, give me the sum of that product sales, you're going to get 110, which does not match what you just read. Why? Because you just read something someone inserted in the middle of the transaction. And that's isolation level is called read committed. So most of the time it works. Sometimes it does not, like this situation. 
Sorry if I, if I take a long time to answer. I always like babble a lot. How do you secret credential DB credential and serverless via code? I mean, deep database credentials should be stored on the same machine and should be what you generated so that no possible human can possibly get that database, right? Uh, credential, the password, right? That's the first thing. And then you put it, you store it somewhere safe in in either a store in the um, a cred, uh, what's it called that vault, right? That's what the fanciest word now for it. Or you can just store it on disk, shared drive that is secure on the back end, and then you can read it, and then you supply it through environmental variables, right? So dot env, right, is a good idea. You can store it in the dot env as long as you don't push that dot env file to your github repository or your to to your uh, repository if you do obviously people can see that password even that you know i, I am a pragmatic man right if i if you post accidentally post your past post your database postgres password i don't see that a bit as a big deal some people do i don't why because you should if you are a good backend engineer you should have prevented the access to your backend uh, database to limited IP addresses. What happened? <clears throat> to a limited IP addresses. So no one from external can possibly know to access your database anyway. I know this is controversial, I know. But always don't freak out before you think. That's what, well, that's what I, I was always saying. But I don't... That doesn't mean you should go ahead and post, uh, pu publish all your passwords. It just, just think. Right? If you think, if you keep thinking, then you're invincible because now you understand how things work. You don't. You're just not freaking out because of the sake of freaking out, right? Obviously, if you expose your Postgres, you're 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 screwed. <laughs> Which technologies has good future? Mm, a lot of people ask these questions, like. Technologies that has good future. We don't know the future, my man. We don't know the future. But I would say the web transport protocol has, and the quick protocol is going to change the game. Especially when people start applying it to multiplexing technologies such as databases. Like once you start, like what is the biggest problem with databases when it comes to web infrastructure? Pooling, right? Connection pooling is the worst. You have to establish like a lot of connections and then you have to only send that query to one to one TCP connection at a time. You cannot use, that's a bad idea by the way, don't use a single TCP connection, database connection to send parallel requests on the same time from different web clients. That's a recipe for disaster. You might, it might work for you, but in the, as you go, your because you cannot guarantee the response the tcp stack will just respond right and when you respond you will get the the response for the first query might might be shuffled 
and if, because how would the day it depends on like how the database actually received it and when will the what's the first response will be written the first response that will be written is not necessarily the first query that we, that the database got it might write the the second response first and then the first response if you do that if you assume that the first response that you get is actually the first query you might accidentally just uh, responded to the to web one to user web one with web two's client uh, data, which is disastrous. That's the same problem with pipelining and, and HTTP. That's the exact same problem with HTTP and why they invented HTTP pipelining, which failed miserably. Now they went to the route of HTTP two, which is streams, and now we need to bring it all the databases up to speed. The communication protocol with the HTTP stack, not necessarily as an HTTP protocol, but the idea of streams, which Quick implement beautifully. Uh, unfortunately, the database in the back end stuck with pooling for now. Uh -huh, I am a junior job. Does that, does whatever I'm I'm saying make sense, guys? Does it make sense, or I'm just babbling? Tell me if if I am just uh, saying stuff that doesn't make any sense. Because I'll be happy to elaborate. Just say, make sense, or just say, elaborate, please. You suck. And and do type, you suck. <laughs> Which technologies have good future? We just answered that. I am a junior Java developer. I knew about this challenge due to the protocol videos. Ah, welcome. How important is it for developers to know about this protocol? Ah, you're talking about the developer. I mean, a developer is, is a little bit isolated from an engineer, in my opinion. Everything I say in here, in my opinion, right? So a developer usually code, write code, right? And the developer sometimes need to communicate with other backends or other services. So I would say, absolutely, yes, developers should understand protocols. Yes, 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 yes. Well, that was a good, good, good one. Your accent sounds like a colleague of mine. Which are you from? Which are you from? I'm from Bahrain. Yeah, so uh, my, I have an Arabic accent. So maybe that's why. Thanks in advance. Thanks, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee in the town, dude. Coming back from the dead. Still giving us knowledge. How to keep yourself motivated after work time? By motivated, I mean that reading tech books, learning. Uh, that's a good question, Maqdad. Maqdad says, how to give yourself motivated, my friend. Okay, so, yeah, Maqdad, motivation is very hard, to be honest, right? Uh, you, you're you looking at this, and then you're looking at mine, or you're looking at my video and says, okay, this guy's on 24-7. No, I feel down all the time. I don't try to make myself motivated. Right. If I'm not feeling like I'm reading reading about the uh, was the Babelfish Amazon new technology or MariaDB new tech, I just don't because otherwise I'll be continuously struggling with my mental illness. In this case, like wow, this is all the time. It's like I have to be on and on and on and learning. No, I take breaks all the time. I do things that that I consider fun. I play video games. Mind you, I play stressful video games like Dark Souls because they, they give me motivation. 
just make me feel good about achieving something when i when i spend an hour trying to defeat a boss it just feels good when you do i i watch anime i watch things that i like i watch uh, guilty pleasure youtube videos yeah i don't i say flip the questions like give yourself some time to learn and give yourself some time to to not learn so to me learning comes by by desire not like oh i have to learn this oh my god not like that so like i wake up in the morning i five o'clock in the morning you know I, I, the first thing i say i'm drinking my coffee and i'm reading about what was i reading about this morning about about my sql database engine than you might in my sql database engine like random twitter stuff which is not healthy if you ask me but if i see something interesting i immediately try to read it i read some idea i get some ideas from it and i write it in my notebook so that i can make a video on it if i don't feel like it i just I've, i always find the time to do things that i like how do you rate graphql out of 10 my god that's a very political question kumar we're trying to get us into a civil war here. GraphQL, bringing GraphQL. <laughs> I'm kidding. So GraphQL out of 10? Sheesh. I'll give it 6.5. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good technology, but I think uh, it could be made better. I think we're abusing it. Uh, a lot of people use GraphQL without database knowledge, and that's the problem. If if you use GraphQL and you absolutely have polished database knowledge, knock yourself out. But the reason GraphQL was invented is for simplicity, back to my original statement when I make people. Developers prefer simplicity over over understanding, let's say just to make things work and when they do that they suffer as a result of uh, ambiguity right because if you go through this route which is easy you just implement it if something went wrong in the easy route guess what you're screwed because you have no idea how things work because you chose the easy route which magically abstract everything away and all of a sudden you have no clue what's going on because you do not understand how the stack works. That's why every time I tell people, please do understand every tech stack that you use. Fully understand it. Fully understand React. If you're going to use React, understand how React works. Don't just use it. If you want to use GraphQL, use it, but understand how exactly it's forming your query on the backend. Understand that it's a post-only model and it cannot support caching web caching that is understand that it can screw your database if you're doing something wrong on the back end because it does magic and what don't we like in this channel we do not like magic we do not like magic. i'm gonna make a shirt we do not like magic i've said it so many times somebody told me that ssh tunneling is an end oh wow i can't read anything this is this chat is uh, the YouTube chat is so weird. 
NAT translate its private IP to public IP to send a request to destination IP. But how server translate the destination IP to a specific private IP? Uh, well, first, the server does not translate the destination IP, the router does, right? When you, is what happens with NAT. NAT todes. We're going to explain NAT todes ka. So natto, which is Japanese for nat. Just kidding, by the way, guys. Sometimes if I tell a joke, especially at work, some people just look at me. It's like, are you serious or are you joking? Because they don't know if I joke or not. So I'm still working on my sarcasm. <laughs> so natto is the... Because we cannot generate unique IP enough unique IP address, public IP addresses for the whole devices... Right, because we have like a 4 billion limit, I believe, with the IPv4. We had to create the idea of subnetworks, right? So you have a subnet, and this have like a private IP addresses, and you guys can talk to each other as much as you want, right? But if you want to talk to an external network, we're gonna, we cannot use your IP address to talk to the external network because you don't have the guts to talk to external network. You're just naked, to the external network with the private IP address. Just doesn't make sense. So what we do is we, this internal network have something called the gateway. The gateway is the device that is capable of talking to outside networks. And by, by outside network, I mean internet or just another network, right? So every device, if you have, to, if you go to your Wi-Fi on your phone now, what time is it now? I hate the new operating system, dude. I hate this new OS. What is this? Mac? Uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. It's so ugly. Big Sur. She flipped everything. I don't know where everything... Well, I don't know where is the clock, for God's sake. So it's 8 o'clock. What are we talking about? Yeah. So these devices, if you go to your phone now, and you go to Wi-Fi, and there is always something called the gateway, where it says, hey, the gateway is... If you don't know where to send thing, something, send it to the gateway. So if your IP address, your private IP address is 10.0.0.2 and your neighbor is 10.0.0.3 and then your, your laptop is 10.0.0.4, you can send a message from 10.0.0.4 and 10.0.0.2 normally without the gateway being involved, in this case the router. You can send them information just normally. You can send a GET request to a web server that is running locally. Totally fine. But if you send a request to Google.com, I get a request to Google.com, which has a, I definitely have a public IP address outside your network. You're going to do a DNS. It comes back with IP, I don't know, 4.3.2.1, right? And if you send that, it says, oh, 4.3.2.1. This is definitely not on my subnet. My subnet. Why? Because you do this mask. You do a subnet mask. It's a 10.0.0. My mask is 255.255. If I end them, Oh, four is not in my subnet, so I cannot talk to this guy. What's my gateway? Gateway, help, help, help. So you send the packet to the gateway instead. So the, the gateway says, okay, you're destined this to me as, as a MAC address, as a, as a layer two. It's, you send it to the gateway. But the gateway knows, oh, you actually want to go to 4.0.3.2.1. And you're private. Sorry, I can't get you there. 
I actually have a public IP address that I can talk to these guys because I I know how to talk to these guys. And if this gateway doesn't understand, if it's not in the same subnet, if this thing is not in the same net, subnet as the gateway, it does the exact same thing that we did. What's the gateway's gateway? And you send it to the gateway. What's the gateway's gateway? What's the gateway's gateway? That's how internet works. You can just send it, send it, send it. Send it. And when you do that, the first device actually adds an entry that, by the way, I actually had to change the packet from the private IP to the pub, to my public IP. And you add an entry, a row in a database somewhere in, in, the, in, the, in the router. And then when the packet comes back and it's destined for the gateway and there is a destination port, the router looks, oh, okay, let me look in the net. Is this for anyone? You literally look with the source IP, a destination IP, and the gateway IP. It says, okay, where, where is this destined from? Definitely not for me because nobody talks to the gateway as a final destination. It doesn't have anything except the router's admin page. So it goes there and says, okay, this is, oh, this is 10.0.0.2. They requested that stuff. Okay, let me shift that packet, replace it, send it back. So that's how NAT works. Let's make the app. How long it take to watch all of this video and all <laughs> the videos on your channel? I have no idea. I've been making videos since 2000. Uh, since 2016, 2015. There's a lot of videos. So don't expect to watch all of the videos. Whenever you want to learn something, watch it and take your time. It's going to take a long time. There is, there is a lot of content. You don't have to watch all of it, definitely. But thank you. Every time you watch the content, you support the channel because you tell YouTube that this idiot is actually worth watching, right? Because he has something to say. And the longer you watch, the, the more YouTube gets interested, the more the more YouTube stop pushing my channel, which is started to do these days. I'm starting getting 10 million impressions, which is an insane number of impressions. Impressions is how many times YouTube shows your video to people. It's just nuts. And it's just I'm seeing growth and I appreciate every single one of you that watches the content because that supports the channel. So thank you so much. Hi, uh, Hassan. YouTube on everything. Hi, Hassan. Your channel is the only channel I found till now, which explains really complex backend stuff from beginner point of view. That's what I'm trying to do. Thank you so much. Uh, YouTube on everything. Um, I tr that's what I try to do. I take complex topic and I try to make it commoditized and, and kind of democratize it so it's easy to digest. Not just for you guys, for me even. Because essentially, I want to learn, right? That's the goal. Ah. <sighs> Uh, Big Sur, I hate Big Sur too I am on Catalina still uh, Stay on Catalina, don't move to Big Sur Robbie says He's asking a question in Arabic So I'm going to read it and then translate it And then answer it Hussein, كيف حالك? 
في قاعدة البيانات ما هي الحالات التي يجب أن أستخدم فيها اندكس في الأعمدة؟ جاوب في الإنجليزي مشكلة. So the question Rabi asks is when is the what's the use case where I should use an index on a column in a database? Alright, should I always use an index or should I not use an index? So the rule of thumb is rule of thumb is usually if you're querying with a predicate predicate filter on that column. Usually, you should you should have an index. However, if if that's the only field you're querying, if you're querying multiple fields, then think about the order on which you're querying these fields. Right. So let's say uh, uh, select star star is a bad idea. Select name from employees where first name is equal Ali and second name is equal Rick. Ali Rick. Wow. Okay. So. If you do that, then the 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 first thing that comes to mind, oh, I'm gonna add an index to both. Not necessarily. You don't need an index on both because think about it. What is the common? What is the most common name? Are last names more common than first name, or first name are more common than last names? You add to one and measure the the performance. Just one, because once you query once, you're gonna have a limited set of rows to work with anyway. And when you have this limited set of rows, you might not need an index. In fact, the database might not even use your index at all. My dog is barking. Bagsley, quiet. All right. So, yeah, so it really depends what you're trying to do with the indexes and what what are the queries. So, I would say, ah, Bagsley, I would say, Uh, test, try, and see the performance essentially, and then try adding indexes when needed. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break. Let me see what what's up with my dog, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay on. All right, we are back. <laughs> so he's here's the thing. So he's been uh, <laughs> the FedEx uh, car. The uh, car is here. So whenever he sees a noise, he's trying to protect us, right? So he's and he's like a little pug. So he's just it's like uh, barking all tough. <laughs> trying to protect us. It's so cute. It's like, what, what are you protecting us from? But it's so cute that he's also like, feel protective of us. Uh, I don't know if I answered this question, but are you planning to make a video about Postgres full text search? Yeah. Will do very soon. Here's the thing. I did not build an application where I needed full text. That's why... I don't have experience in that, right? I usually talk about stuff that I am experienced with. What did I miss? How can we convince you to be on Instagram? YouTube notification don't really help. I had no clue you were live until I opened YouTube. Really? Oh, that sucks. So you guys use Instagram a lot? Yeah, okay, follow me on Instagram. I'll, I'll, I'll be active if I see uh, some comments. 
my my Instagram is HNASR is exactly as Twitter, but I don't post the software engineering stuff there. Maybe I should. Let me know if you guys want this stuff. If you want uh, on Instagram, I just post everywhere, I guess. Let it uh, from where to learn Microsoft and Node.js. Ah, just do it. Really, I mean, microservice is just a very overblown word, in my opinion. I swear. Just, uh, what's a microservice? It's a service, which is a web server that spins up and listens on a port, and you receive information. You receive a, a request, whether this is uh, a request on HTTP or other protocols, and then it responds. It just happened to be a little bit thinner. So Node.js, what microservice is, is a service, right? Oh, and I'm just, man, the, a lot of people just blow things out of proportion and making things very hard. You're such a lovely guy. <laughs> Thank you. Bring the duck to the stream. Maybe I will. Yes, on Insta. Everybody wants Insta. How to master Django? I know little about Django. So I would say to, to, to know anything, let's just start using it. And... I don't like Python as a language, so I don't use it as much as JavaScript. But that's why you see me use Node.js or Express on on on, on instead of Django, for example. It's just they both do the exact same job. Pick something, and I don't have interest in in spreading my knowledge into both languages, in my opinion, because I code in Python, not in daily basis, in a weekly basis at my job. But most of the time, I just, if I want to learn a language, JavaScript is just very quick and dirty to do stuff. But I'm trying to learn Go now because it's hip. It is very hip. Do you drop your Insta ID here? Please can't find it by HNSR. Really? That was my ID. HNSR is my Instagram ID. You cannot find it? That's weirdo. Weirdo. Weirdo this. That's my Insta. H-N-A-S-R. That's my ID. That's weirdo. Just at H-N-A-S-R. What technology are you mostly working with when coding? Um, when coding. C-sharp. I mean, the language is C-sharp. I work with the following. Stacks. I work with... The languages I use are Z following. And by by mean by no mean don't think that these are the best languages at all. There's no it's just I just happen to use them because I have to work with them. C sharp VB.net uh JavaScript Python Can you say Python? What else? That's it. That's the four language I work on a daily basis. Languages. Uh, back in technologies. Engine XO. HA proxy. A custom reverse proxy. Our own custom homegrown reverse proxy. Uh, in Esri. And also Tomcat. That's technically a web server. 
Tomcat. I work a lot with Tomcat, and you you might see my tweets with Tomcatto. Hey, someone actually found my Instagram. There you go, Instagram.com. Yeah. So, what else? What else I work with? Uh, databases. Yes, database stacks. What what databases I work with? I work with Oracle, Oracle, ten ten uh, G and twelve C. I'm I'm trying now to deploy nineteen B or nineteen C. Their naming is so weird. Oracle. What else? I work with Postgres. All versions. I started working with Postgres since nine four, and I deployed nine five and nine six. And after nine six, there was no nine seven. Immediately they went to ten, and then eleven, and then twelve. I believe I'm working on thirteen now. I don't think I deployed thirteen. SQL Server. I work on SQL Server on a daily basis. Twenty twenty. I forgot their names, man. Uh, their uh, SQL Server is also another weird thing. Two thousand and I think two thousand and six. Was it two thousand and six? Dude, I forget, man. The the, the versioning is just like blurs away. I think 2016, 2014, that was like a bad release, I think. 2016, and I think on 2016, I am on 2016. Maybe there is a 2019, no, I don't know. 2017, I'm not sure. Uh, what else? SAP HANA, that's uh, another proprietary database. And our own uh, file-based uh, database system. Oh, SQLite. I work with SQLite a lot. And uh, we built on Isri, we built a custom, uh, our own file-based database called FileGDB. And now we have another thing on top of SQLite, which we call the mobile GDB. That's it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I play... There's like a lot, of, a lot of server stack. We call it ArcGIS server, enterprise, a lot of stuff. Eh. So yeah, I work with so many technologies. Technologies. Arsen, just started watching your channel. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. Really cool content. Thank you, Subham. Appreciate you, my friend. Why go? Why not Rust? No reason at all. I want to go to Rust. It's just... Uh, no, 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 no particular reason. I'm interested in Rust as well. Maybe I'll go to Rust or Go. I heard that Go is just easier for networking, was designed to build for networking, so I think it's a good backend language. So, might consider Rust. I mean, I'm considering a lot of language. I want to go back to C++, in my opinion, or C. Just don't have time. Sorry, mistake. Found it. Okay, got it. They found the Instagram. I see PlayStation in the back what do you play i play mostly the following games in the playstation i play most of the time the, the games that i overplay all the time skyrim i don't know which one is that the, the popular Skyrim that's everywhere right the elder scrolls i play sekiro i play dark soul 1 dark soul 2 dark soul 3 Bloodborne. All of these games I played at least, at least twice. Full, full through. I'm not counting 
the uh, twice I say from scratch, right? I'm not counting new game plus, gun plus plus. These are I don't I don't count them as games. I just play them. <laughs> so if you count those, I play them maybe three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Sekiro, I I, I reached up to plus, new game plus six, and I I, I made it into hundred uh, percent plat plat and all that. These these kind of the games I, I like playing. I love this game. I like uh, other games like um, Red Dead Redemption, God of War. So yeah, I play from time to time. I watch anime. Like to do some entertainment from to time to time to time. I think even you, as an engineer, you should not make your engineer as like full time. Maybe if you, if you're passionately about it, it's just like you drink. I, I allocate a lot of time for my engineering to build my engineering skills all the time. Is SSH tunneling the most secure way for admin access to the database? PG admin. Example PG admin. I see other options such as limiting IP address as separate SSL encryption alternative. So Nicholas asks to access a backend service like such as BD admin. Right, PG admin is 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 a web server technically that listens to a port and then facing directly with the database. So it's a very critical piece of infrastructure that you should not really expose to the public. Right? That being said, if you how how else would you how would you access your PG admin? So you have you can either remote into you just SSH into a machine normally, right? And then using SSH into that machine, open the PG admin from there, right? I guess you cannot really open a user interface from SSH, huh? But what you do essentially is rem- if you're on Windows, you remote into that desktop machine through VPN, and then from that remote machine, you open PG admin. So that's one way, right? So through VPN, so a little bit slow, but not really that slow, but that's one way. The second way is what, what Nicholas suggested is do an SSH tunnel between you and some machine there, and then just transfer the, t- uh, the content, the web server, to there. So it's like a reverse tunneling, which I talked about uh, many times on this channel. That's another way to do that. If you're authenticated, that's that should work. Another way is just to limit PG admin uh, exposed to the public to a certain IP addresses. So that make it into a public interface, which is really worries me, in, in my opinion. Really, really worries me, huh? that, that thing. I would not do that. I mean, yeah, definitely. If you expose that IP address, you allow only an external IP address to access you. That works. But I'm worried about spoofing. Like if someone managed to spoof your IP address, they will be able to. If they know which IP address is granted and this is like open to the public, they might be able to uh, spoof that IP address. I know it's not that easy, but it just worries me that to expose PG admin. I'd rather just make it internal. And when I really want to go into the administer my database, I'll just VPN into my network. And then access from there. That's just the safest way. It's the Maria Achi Zero Cash says, Go on, my brother. Thank you, my dear. Will do. Lots of love from Nigeria. Do you know the country? Of course I do. Say Biko. It means that thank you in my language. Biko. 
<laughs> Thank you. Do you use Vim? Yes, all the time. I like Vim. I had to always search. Uh, I, like, like how to search in Vim is like, I, I always forget how. I know to search, you do slash. For example, let's say you want to search for HTTP, right? You do that. That's it. You do Vim, and then you do test.txt, and then you do, once you do slash, you immediately uh, go into search mode, right? And if you do slash HTTP, you will go to the first HTTP occurrence. And then I always forget what's the, what makes you, what is the next, how to go next and previous. So it's N or P. <laughs> so I always had to Google that. That means I, I don't use it as much, but, oh well. I don't use the find next feature as much, but if I want to edit, it's just the simplest thing. Adarsh say, I remember you talking about DB user pair endpoint. How do you manage automate this? Oh yeah, that's, so I talked about that a little bit. I mean, that's, that's an over-engineered solution, if you think about it. And I said it in the, in the video. But it is like one of the best practices, right? I know best practices is like a little bit weird with over-engineering. But it's just, if you really want to do that, you have multiple endpoints, right? One endpoint will do a read. One endpoint will do a write to the database. One endpoint will do a delete. And... Usually what they, what people do is they will use a single database user to do all the three, right? And that and they will grant that database user on the back end a full write permission, including create and everything. Sometimes we'll do crazy stuff like, oh, let, let, let the user create or drop a table, which is nuts. If you don't, you usually don't do DDL operations through endpoints, through web endpoints at all. Is this a bad idea? You can't do that, right? Plus, people are connecting. How would you... You have to do schema operation on the back end, usually. Unless you know what you're doing, right? That That's a different story. But if you... The, the trick here is don't assign user permissions that they don't need as a database user. That's the first thing. And if you want to go take it further, which is the video I explained, let each endpoint have a specific user to do that permissions only. That's it, right? So if this is a, a an endpoint that reads all the booking, then make it so you have a connection pool with that database user that only have read permission. So so if someone managed to do a SQL injection using that GET request, they will not be able to drop a table. They will not be able to write. They not be they will only be able to read. So you kind of limit the surface of attack this way. Yeah, it's much, much harder to implement, much, much harder to, to maintain, but it gives you really good security if you think about it. And that's, that's one of the best in practice. Some people will say it's a little bit of over-engineering, but security, sometimes security is really good. You have to over-engineer a little bit. How Go routine works behind the scene? I don't know anything about Go, so I'm not sure. Go scheduler rule. Hi, Hussein. What's your opinion on Elixir? Elixir, man. Elixir and uh, what's the the derivative from that? Ugh, I forgot. Golang? Not Golang. Ah, that was going to bother me. WhatsApp language. WhatsApp programming language. What programming language was WhatsApp written in? 
what language? Erlang. Oh. So Elixir came from Erlang. Right? So Elixir came from Erlang. And it is one of the few languages that can swap code at runtime. I don't, I'd never seen any language that does that. And the ability to swap code at runtime is so powerful. I don't think I, I, th I think I talked about it a little bit in WhatsApp, the WhatsApp video. But ability is, imagine if you, if you wrote code and you spin up the code, the processes, and all of a sudden you want to patch something. You, oh, you fixed a bug. You fixed something. You want to change something. How, what do you do? You have to shut down these processes. And first of all, you have to compile the code again. Not necessarily in JavaScript, but just any any language that needs compilation. You have to compile and run it again, and then stop the existing processes and run this again. So this takes time, right? Stopping and restarting. Erlang is one of the languages that can do code swap. You guys say, eh, this is running this portion of the code. I changed it. You swap it runtime. Magic, magic. I don't know how it works. I <laughs> still, I really need to read more about it. But just the this feature is powerful. Majid, Majid Super, uh, I don't know what's your last name, dude. Uh, so I'm going to read it in Arabic and then translate it. Al-Bash Muhandis Muhammad Sharif Haikun Farhan Al-Wati Khalli Hadratak Ta'amal Life. Yeah, so <laughs> he's saying that uh, uh, Muhammad Sharif, which is, uh, he's, uh, he's running another software engineering. That, the one I talked about, uh, the one I talked about in the beginning of the stream, where uh, he's from Okta, he's really expert in security and authentication. He is the one who actually had me in his podcast, and he encouraged me to do it live. So all the thanks to him, of course. The whole thanks to Thank you so much, Ahmed. Erlang. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Erlang. Yeah, I was always scared to do a live stream. I was like, oh, what, what, what if something goes wrong? Of course, things all go wrong all the time. The dog was barking a second ago. I mean, things will go wrong all the time. But that does not mean I cannot give you value, my friend. Erlang, Erlang. So E-R-Lang. That's, that's how you pronounce. What's your take on maximum number of concurrent connection on a web server? Problem like C10K and C100K. I, I I have I forgot I have to read go back and read those problems it's, it's been a while but there is a limit essentially to the TCP connection that you can open just just because of most of the time these limits are memory and processing right when you open a connection from the client to the backend server that's a TCP connection so there is a physical uh, thing that's stored on the server it's called the uh, Oh my God, file descriptor. That's what it's called. And then the client also has the same file descriptor. I and mean, when you create a connection, the, there, there are sequence numbers that kind of track where, the, the packets. Like, oh, I just sent packet number 100. Oh, I just acknowledged packet number 100, 101. Good. Oh, this is packet number 300. And imagine these packets are low level, right? Keep saying packets. They are segments. Pack, TCP segments. IP packets. MAC frames. Networking is hard. Try to remember all that stuff. So those segments are just segments, right? So if you, if how many times when you open these connections, because the server operating system has to maintain these numbers, have to maintain this state. It's a stateful connection. So 
HTTP 1.1 made this actually worse because of the limit where you can only send one request per TCP connection at a certain time and we have a website filled with resources that we need to pull and as a result took a long time so we can't use one single TCP connection so uh, people start or browsers start opening multiple TCP connections and that just increases the load that's why HTTP 1.1 actually doubles the number of TCP connections on your backend or even triples it just blows up especially if you're go going from a browser it's just a lot and uh, HTTP 2 is not that perfect as well because HTTP 2 uses streams and those streams need to be interpreted and broke down into actual meaningful layer 7 useful requests and in order to do that you need a lot of work alright MySQL PL sucks I don't know about that. Uh, we have Japone on on the stream. What's your name? Google Translate. Anato wa Nihonjin For the sake of a dream. That's what your name is. And ask, for the sake of dreams, ask. Thank you for the answer on my comment. By the way, do you think will Elixir gain popularity? Yes. Yes. And it's already popular, by the way. And I think, yeah, I don't know wh why it's not mainstream yet, like compared to a JavaScript, for example. Maybe it's just simplicity, right? How to clearly understand issues and handle them in back-end configuration files. In general, processing for debugging. So pro debugging, debugging on back-end is one of the most tough jobs there. Datadog, I, I heard, I, I didn't see that myself, but I think they, you can implement Datadog, this service. Again, not sponsored or anything like that. It's just, I heard that you can deploy this magic and all of a sudden it will just know exactly where the bottleneck is. I don't know how it works. I'd like to learn more about it, in my opinion. Because if you can monitor where the bottlenecks are in the backend, especially if you had like microservices, like a request that sends another request, that sends another request, that makes things really, really interesting. Kipkip says, how much your backend time do you spend on coding? Very low. I barely code. I don't, I barely write any code. I'm an engineer. My job, so for those who don't know, <clears throat> I'm a principal engineer. That means I am I own a product or a collection of products. So I am responsible for launching the product. This, first of all, I'm responsible of coming up with the requirement for the product, right? Talking to customers, designing the product, actually creating the issues and back in the backlog. I'm I'm talking about backlog issues, right? And then distributing the work with. Um, for the developers who actually write the code, which I don't write the software code, and then come back and test the software, write a test plan, make sure it works, and then ship the product, talk to customers, and communicate through videos for communication, blogs, talk about how this product works. I, I'm I'm responsible for all these stages in, in the development. Obviously, I have a big team with me for if each product that we ship. So that's my job. So there sometimes during this I take some of my time to work on the back end 
to because most of our apps that we built are backend apps, most of them, right? And when we do backend apps, the architecture is is everything. You have to build a solid bulletproof architecture, and that's where my my job comes in from the design. <clears throat> Which queue system works best for low latency system, like for example sending trades or trading engine? Uh, I mean, queues are Redis is a good queue system. I mean, people on Redis will will be mad if they heard that. I think it's a pop sub system. But yeah, uh, RabbitMQ is good. Redis is good. If you want low-level control, go with the zero MQ. That's good. Do you think that Rust can replace C++ in the future? <clears throat> I cannot answer that. I think, I think Rust was created to solve limitation. Not necessarily limitation. I'll just try to make uh, memory allocation better through detection of this possible memory leak during compile time i think that's one of the biggest sell point for rust will it replace c plus plus i don't know because i didn't test rust and uh, i'm not sure that uh it will because there are like a big there's c plus was a huge i mean it's been there for years and years and years so i really doubt that it's going to be replaced at all all right, guys, we're going to start rolling it out to reaching two hours. I think it's time to wind down. And next time I'll, I'll do better, guys. I'll send out a notification everywhere so you guys can see it. I didn't say usually I send it on Twitter. So follow me on Twitter. Usually I tweet a lot. And uh, yeah, let's start winding this down. Asking a few, few more questions before ending the stream. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you for everyone taking the time to come here and listen to me babble. Hello, Sin. What's the best architecture, network, technology? I read that topology for some reason. To build an application that does video streaming at low bandwidth. How would you do that? So low bandwidth, low bandwidth, video streaming app so so what you need to do is think about the source of video stream itself so it really depends do you have these videos built in or are they live streamed that's a different question right if you have those videos actually built and uploaded ready for you then you have to uh, create multiple versions of the videos so you have a, to create like a low resolution video, higher resolution, higher, higher, higher. And so that's what YouTube does. And based on the client that start to consume, you serve it the right version of the video uh, in order to to limit the to kind of have as 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 lower bandwidth as possible, right? So that's the first thing. The second approach we we can do in the communication protocol, which uh, by the way. HLS, which is a, a HTTP uh, streaming, you do HTTP streaming with partial content. So you can request the content to be delivered to you in 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 segments and partial. So so this is done through the two of sex status code in HTTP. So you send one request, and the application, the server will start almost just very close to. 
uh, SSE server side events where we'll just stream the content to you slowly, boop, boop, trickling down. So that will just minimize the bandwidth as well because you're not just going to do polling. Hey, do I have something? Do I have something? Do I have something? You just, you're going to be streamed to you. And then the bandwidth will really, really depends. The higher bandwidth, the better, obviously. But I don't think you can do much. Compression is done through the video itself. So I don't think you can do much about that. Maybe I'm wrong. I have a server with 32 gig RAM, 16 core processor, and it can't handle more than 70 users at a time. I really, I would be really surprised. I would ask what is on that stack, what's on the server, how many nodes do you have, like what is what is what does each request actually do? Ask about that this kind of stuff. I think you can do so much. If your application is expensive by nature and you you think that hey, I cannot optimize more, I think I only handle 70 user, then that's fine. But if you take a look at your architecture and think, okay, what does it mean to handle 70 user at a time? You mean concurrently in this time, right? And does it mean 70 user are sending the same heavy request at a single time? Can you squeeze, can you make that atomic request faster? Can you make it take less resources? Can you add a caching layer that will improve that performance of that request serving? And when I say caching layer, I'm not talking about Redis or anything like that. Caching in, in the app itself, whether it's in-memory cache or an, a sidecar cache. I talk about sidecar if you want to learn about that. So a sidecar cache where it stores this information. So it's in the same machine, but it's, it's, it's local to you. So you don't have to jump outside the network. So guys... All right, I think we'll um, we'll end it here. Thank you so much. Yahya says, "Are you an application engineer?" No, I am a principal engineer, so I'm not responsible of just one application. I'm responsible about a product which can contain many applications. Let's put it this way, as I explain. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you all. Hope you enjoyed this stream. We ended exactly two hours. I love that. What can I do better to serve you better in these streams? Do you like this format? Do you like the Q&A format? Let me know. If you like this Q&A format, we'll, we'll keep doing it. Instead of having a topic that kind of fixes you like into the just, uh, we have to talk about this topic. Or do you prefer the Q&A? Let me know in the comment section below. And uh, I'm going to see you in the next one, you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys rock. Thank you for everybody who recently subscribed. Welcome to the channel. Enjoy the content. Take your time. The content is not going anywhere. It's going to be there. So don't feel overwhelmed when you see 500 videos in my channel. Take your time to watch this. Have a great weekend. And just try to do something else don't always do engineering find a hobby thing break break that thing a little bit uh, start learning some some other thing do your thing and then come back and have a, you're gonna come back with a passion appreciate you guys thank you so much uh sorry i i should I, i'll learn to send these notifications better uh, youtube notifications broken if 
if you go, go click that notification bell right now so you don't forget if i posted a live stream again i always live stream saturday 7 a.m pst every single week unless something changes uh, i usually put this schedule very early in the week so it comes about i'll to i'll do better to to push it to more all my instagram and all the other social media i'm gonna see you in the next one guys you guys stay awesome goodbye love you